0: The Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. As soon as Jesus and the disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. When they found him, they said to Jesus, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message of their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. one verse that will serve as our emphasis for our meditation this morning. Let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. What's your purpose? What's your mission? What? Are we trying to accomplish? What are our goals? I really like asking those questions, especially with groups and people who've been doing something for a long time just to lead us to pause and force ourselves to think and articulate why is it we do the things that we do? Sometimes we know that really well. Other times it might take a little bit of Time to think, but always I find it helpful. And when I find it most gratifying is when we surprise ourselves. And we can be surprised because sometimes we're sure we know why someone does something, but it turns out we had it wrong the whole time. To illustrate that, I want to tell you a story. I grew up on a dairy in Mount Angel. It was a generational family farm. And I knew that it was my grandfather as a young man who would moved us just into cows and not crops and everything else. And I always assumed that was because of his personality. He had a personality that valued consistency and routine and a regular schedule. And he was real skeptical of high-risk ventures. So, knowing that about Grandpa, I just assumed, well, that's why dairy business would appeal to him. You aren't dependent on one big harvest at the summer. The cows give milk every day. And you don't have a huge payout, but you have a steady paycheck, as steady as farming has. and if you're willing to put in the work that is very routinized. So it just seemed like a natural fit. And certainly that's why he'd done that. He sketched out what was the smart move for them in the business. Well, one time I actually asked him, how come you shifted to having a dairy instead of most of the other farms in the area weren't dairies, they were other things? And he said, oh, well, when I was drafted, My dad couldn't bring in the hops by himself. So he took out the hops, and by the time Grandpa got back, all that were left were animals. Not only had it nothing to do with his personality, it wasn't even really thought through. It was just kinda what happened. I was pretty surprised. There was a reason why this happened, but not what I thought it was going to be. And I only share that story because of those moments in our lives when we ask why are we doing what we're doing the way we could be surprised because we didn't have it right this whole time. And I thought of that this week because in our gospel reading, Jesus does something here in the gospel of Mark he hasn't done yet. He explains his purpose. Why is he doing? What is he here to do? And he says, Let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that's what I came out to do. Jesus states his purpose to proclaim the message. I would suggest that would have been very surprising to his disciples. The reason it's surprising is that with the exception of one verse so far in the Gospel of Mark, that is not what Jesus has been doing. We've not had Jesus, frankly, saying much of anything yet in the Gospel of Mark. What we have had is him doing quite a few things, doing very powerful things things. He's been in the wilderness tempted by Satan. He's driven out an unclean spirit in the synagogue. And then at the opening of our text today, he's entered a private space, a house, and done a healing work showing that Jesus works not only in the big, grand public square, but also individually. And Simon's mother-in-law is not someone who has an unclean spirit, but simply an illness where most of us live in our regular lives. So, and it says further that the whole town comes to him. He's being seen as the mighty worker who does powerful things, a person of significance. The Gospel of Mark has told us from verse 1 that he is son of God and Messiah, so it would logically make good sense. Isn't this what you're here to do? Through the work of of Christ, to show that you are fully God and thereby to allow us to worship you rightly. It makes sense. But then after all those great works of power, Jesus says, so that I might proclaim the message there also for this is what I came out to do. Proclaiming is not what we thought Jesus was doing. This story has all been about Jesus's work, what Jesus has done. And I would have expected his work here to lead to other work. One might even say through a very complicated plot dynamic that's going to lead up to the final work of crucifixion and resurrection. And for him to say something like that is what I came here to do. It's what scholars call the work of Christ. But he doesn't say that. Instead, he says his purpose is to proclaim. And of course, what do you proclaim? What makes it different than just speaking? You proclaim the word of God. So we have been focusing this entire time on the work of Christ. And here he's saying his purpose really isn't about that. It's about the Word of Christ. This does not fit their expectations. What are you doing, Jesus? Why? What's your purpose? And I think they made a distinction that we can make. Jesus acting on our behalf and in our life. What we call the work of Christ. But I'm not sure we like as much the word of Christ. The way Jesus brings the message of God to each and every one of us. See, the work of Christ, that which Jesus has done, we are familiar with. Jesus, living on the earth around 33 AD, is a wonderful thing we can observe and watch from the sidelines. And we're so thankful and appreciative that Jesus did that, and he's taken kind of care of all of those issues for us. But the Word of Christ, the Word of God, is something that speaks to us right now. And in speaking, it convicts us. It shows us that we are indeed sinful people who fail to live the way God intends. Jesus used phrases like, you hypocrites, or you will deny me. Of course, Jesus also says, take and eat, this is my body, or I am with you always to the very end of the age. Those moments of grace are necessary and precious to us, but frankly, I'd rather receive them without the conviction part. But the word of Christ doesn't give us that choice. The Word of Christ, I think, is harder for us too because it exists not just as something Jesus did a long time ago, but as something that speaks to us right now. We, for example, like to talk in this congregation and in this denomination a lot about being the hands and feet of Jesus. And I think we love that. We love being the means of grace to one another serving one another and when we do that we rightly recognize that in showing grace we become in martin luther's words god's masks and not only do we help another human another thing we help ourselves as reflecting the very grace we receive from god and what's more, there's not just one way to do that, but many, many ways. We are the hands and feet of Jesus in as many and varied ways as we are varied, wherever we are. It's wonderful theology. It matters to us. That's why we emphasize it so much. But in addition to the hands and feet of Jesus, there's also being the ears and the mouth. With the ears of Jesus, we listen. We hear the word of Christ proclaimed from wherever it comes to us. The word of God. The message that says simultaneously, you are convicted and you are forgiven. You are beloved. You are mine. It's not a historical narrative about Jesus doing work on earth in the past, but speaking to you today exactly where you are. Being the ears of Jesus. And then there's being the mouth of Jesus. See, Jesus here says his purpose is that I will proclaim the gospel. But five chapters later, lest you think you're off the hook... Jesus will send out his disciples to do precisely the same thing. And the word of God they proclaim is the same word of God Jesus proclaims. And that's not because they're such brilliant theologians. Indeed, if there's one thing we learn about the the disciples in the Gospel of Mark is they never get anything right. But it's still the same word of God because of the character of the Word of God. The Word that does not pass away. The Word of God that both simultaneously provides us conviction and grace at the same time, at all times. The Word that goes to all other people. The Word that shows up in surprising places. Not just pulpits like this, but everywhere we encounter others and we hear something that we know is Christ speaking to us. And that word of God isn't just something proclaimed, it's something that acts. Throughout this sermon I've made a kind of unhelpful and false distinction. But it worked for me. Between the work of Christ and the word of Christ. Jesus, his whole point is that there is no real distinction between those things. We might have been surprised by Jesus' purpose here. That after doing all these works of power, he says his purpose is to proclaim. But for Jesus, these are never different. The word itself acts. And the works of power are extensions of that word of God. That the kingdom of God has come near, as he said earlier on in the gospel. The word of God that works and acts in us today. When we proclaim the word of God, when it's proclaimed to us, it works in us. The work of Christ is alive. Just as we are convicted, we are forgiven. Just as we feel lost, we are found. Just as we are surprised and shocked, we are assured. Christ's work and word are always with us. Amen.